You're listening to the Two Tongues Podcast. And now your hosts, Kyle and Chris. Well, good morning, good day. How are you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast. Where today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to try. So this time, uh, listen, you guys know if you've been watching the podcast, or uh, especially if you've been watching on YouTube, uh, but if you've been listening over the years, this is entirely unedited. We do our thing, and it is what it is. Uh, today, I want to show some images, which is not something that I've done a whole lot in the past, and um, not a particular skill in editing. I've never even given it a shot. So I'm going to do it live. Uh, we're going to do it live. We're going to do it live, just like we uh, always do. So bear with me today. Um, as I stumble through that, I'm sure. Uh, but I also want to mention that this episode is unique for another reason. Um, that being, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about mathematics. We're going to be talking about something we we only ever dabble in. We never get into too much detail, and it's not going to be all about math. But it is going to be out of my depth. Um, I'm not a mathematician. You guys know that. Um, so I'm going to do my best to bring to you what I th- find interesting. And it, it's right up our ordinary alley. I mean, what I'm bringing to you from uh, mathematics here is is illustrations of what I see to be fundamental in uh, uh, t- fundamental to reality or even uh, the idea of God that we talk so much about. So the idea is, is there, is there evidence in mathematics that points in the same direction as the mystical stuff that I usually talk about? Um, the same kind of evidence we get from psychedelic experience, altered states of consciousness, um, early religious practice like shamanism, meditation, things like that. Um, are the insights um, about humanity and about reality that come from those types of mystical experiences um, duplicated or, or reinforced? by mathematical ideas. Um, if if the answer to that is yes, that's really interesting to me, and probably for you too, because it's uh, we, we tend to believe that mathematics is something fundamental, um, either fundamental um, behind the operations of matter and energy and, and you know what we call reality or the, the manifest cosmos, like it's behind the scenes, the clockwork universe idea um, with mathematical descriptions. Or something even more potentially interesting, that mathematics as a system is governed by the same laws that produce those patterns in nature. So it's not that mathematics is the pattern behind nature. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But if it's not, any accordance between the laws that govern mathematics and the laws that govern nature requires an explanation. It's like, is there an explanation that explains those patterns in math and in nature as though it's behind them both. You know, maybe not that mathematics is behind nature directly, but that whatever it is that patterns nature also patterns mathematics. Is there something like that going on? And if there is, that's very interesting, right? Um, So without further ado, I'm going to jump in. Uh, We're not talking about any particular author today. We're just going to kind of talk about my thoughts so let me just begin, and then I'll show you some uh, some images along the way. In fact, let me let me pull one up for you. 
stand by. Uh, here it is. All right, let's try it again. There it is. All right, so what you should see here is a picture of the platonic solids. This, these are um, uh, three-dimensional shapes um, that can be created with perf through perfect geometrical shapes, uh, four-sided shapes, you know, um, uh, six-sided shapes, wh whatever they are. You can see them here. There aren't any other um, options. These are them all. So Plato made this discovery, and um, it's usually a concept that is um, that is talked about. Uh, in regards to sacred geometry, and we're going to talk about some of that today. Um, all right, so let's get into it. What do you think of when someone says the word sacred geometry? Maybe you imagine the platonic solids or the Fibonacci sequence as seen in um, the Nautilus shell or, or the sunflower or a spiral galaxy, maybe. Something like that. Why is it so intriguing that nature contains repeating patterns and that those patterns are mathematical? Why is it so intriguing? It is, though, isn't it? Some see patterns and imagine a designer, a great cosmic mathematician. Others imagine some pre-existing structure to which nature must accord. In either case, we imagine something preliminary to the cosmos. Right? Something unknown, mysterious, and fundamental. What could it be? Is it God? Does it point to God? Let's start with Pythagoras. We're familiar with him, right? The great pre-Socratic mathematician who believed arithmos, number, is the substance underlying all existence. We did, we did many episodes on Pythagoras. Now, other philosophers proposed elements like fire, air, water, and ether as the fundamental um, underlying, uh, you know, fundamental substance of reality. But Pythagoras declared the arche, right, that underlying thing, to be mathematics. He also said something that will sound familiar to those who have studied Hermeticism, where the Hermetics famously proclaimed as above, so below. Pythagoras proclaimed, man is the measure of all things. Have you heard that? Do you see the connection? As above, so below means that there is a divine pattern which is reproduced at all things, at all levels. It says, what God is like, man is like. The Bible agrees, right? Stating, man is made in the image of God. Isn't that interesting? It says, what heaven is like, earth is like. And again, the Bible states, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And finally, it says, what the earth is like, man is like. You might rightly ask, how? In what way? How is man like the earth? Well, man and the earth are both finite forms filled with the animating spirit of life. 
both are in a state of continual interaction and transformation. Both are bound in the same web of space-time geometry and cause and effect. But we can be more specific. Take this for instance. Did you know that the ratios built into the human body can be found also in the earth? I just learned this from Randall Carlson speaking on the Danny Jones podcast, that the ratio between the width of the human thumb and the length of the human stride, which we use as the basis of our measurement systems, is exactly the same ratio as the, as the stride to the circumference of the earth. Okay, so we can see some truth in the idea that what the earth is like, man is like. Maybe deeper than that, but at least on that level, the hermetic dictum holds. But we can use mathematics to see how what God is like, man is like. And this poses a more difficult problem, but if it can be illustrated, we would have to admit a kind of fractal relationship between them. This is interesting, but to be expected in some sense, as nature is demonstrably fractal. What I propose to do here is to show how advanced mathematics corresponds to our religious intuitions about the nature of God. Yes, this will be speculative, and yes, the math described will be cursory and imperfect, as I am far from a mathematician, but I'd like to try nevertheless. All right, there are two basic intuitions that are nearly universal in human conceptions of God. They are that God is self-created and infinite. So let's begin there. These intuitions are the source of logical paradoxes. So I just want to state that right off the bat. And they're the basis for many people rejecting the idea of God altogether. So it goes something like this. How can God be infinite when everything in nature is finite? How can something infinite exist in a finite cosmos? Does self-creation imply that God existed before it existed? You see what I mean. Well, let's dive in, shall we? Come help me resolve some paradoxes, two-tongue style. And that brings me to the first section. I'm going to call this one the infinite in the finite, the Mandelbrot set. And before I do that, let me just let me share my screen one more time and show you the Mandelbrot set. All right, I'm going to make it bigger so you can see. Here we have the Mandelbrot set um, and the formula that generates it. So let's just go ahead and talk about it while I leave it up there for you. Um, the first documentary that I ever watched on fractal geometry introduced me to the the Mandelbrot set, the famous Mandelbrot set that you see there. This is a diagram of the output of a specific equation. You can see that on the screen. And it produces incredible fractal forms. The documentary showed how fractal geometry appears everywhere in nature, and in the branching patterns of trees, in our lungs, in river systems, and the infinite spirals and broccoli and, and galaxies and things like that, right? And then it shows how fractals are used to make life like virtual reality. Because fractals rest at the heart of nature, they were needed to replicate nature digitally. 
There was no other way, right? So when video game artists or, or CGI artists are trying to, to create a landscape that looks realistic, turns out you can't make mountains look realistic unless you use fractal mathematics in the programming. And then as soon as you do, bam, you can't tell the difference. So there's something fundamental at the heart of nature that is fractal. Okay, so what is the Mandelbrot set, and how does it fit in here? Okay, it is the graph of an equation involving feedback and also an imaginary number. So you can see the C as a variable. That indicates an imaginary number in this case. Now, the feedback comes from the result of one calculation being used as the input for the next and so on into infinity. So it feeds back. The, the, the formula is designed to feed back on itself. When the results of these iterations grow infinitely, they fall outside of the Mandelbrot set. When the results of the equations are bounded or finite, they're included. Okay, so what results is the image of a cartoid. If you look at the large shape, the main shape on, on the screen, you can see it's a sphere with a cleavage on one side. And it's otherwise covered on its circumference by identical but smaller spheres, which are in turn connected with more and more scaling downward forever. In essence, it's a pattern within a pattern within a pattern with no end. But there's one more paradoxical feature of the set. When you focus on the patterns around the circumference and connecting the spheres together, you find incredible things. New shapes and forms emerge the further you zoom in. You see seahorses, lightning bolts, show you some more of these here. Seahorses, lightning bolts. Let's look at this one here. Look at this. Unbelievable. Um, spirals, that kind of thing. Shapes you would recognize in flowers and leaves and on and on. That just goes forever. All being generated by a fixed mathematical equation. How can this be? How can there be infinite perimeter in a finite form? How can it produce infinite shapes? And shapes different from itself, no less. If you look at the, the screen, you can see the cartoid we started with, the sphere with the cleavage on one side. Where is it? So as we zoom in, we see all these new shapes. And the further we zoom, the more they transform and become new and, and, and infinitely so. It isn't mere replication we're dealing with. It's creative. Like somehow, this fractal equation creates. When we look at the Mandelbrot set, we see the infinite results. In fact, let me go back to that for you. Here we go. This gives us a good one. All right, so when we look at the Mandelbrot set, we see the infinite results of the equation, the, the results that are infinite. They make up the background. The results that are finite, they make up the form of the set itself. So what we're looking at, what we see is the infinite and the finite. Plot it out here, okay? And where they meet, 
we can see an explosion of creativity. I can't help be reminded of the psychologist Jordan Peterson speaking of the world of our experience in similar words. He said that for us, the world is made up of the known and the unknown. Chaos and order. And right on the boundary between them is what he calls the zone of proximal development. And he describes this place as the place where novelty happens, where learning happens, the place where the action is. Okay, imagine being on the borderlands of unfamiliar territory and looking into the unknown. Or being dropped into a room where nobody speaks English, right? Something like that. This is a place where new experiences are possible, where something new may be found. And strangely, the same is true for the Mandelbrot set. It is only where the infinite meets the finite that we can see creativity, creation, design. This is the place where order can be made from chaos, where the infinite can be made from the finite. Excuse me, where the finite can be made from the infinite. Okay, let's spend a second longer on this idea of the place where the infinite and the finite meet. Because it brings to my mind Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, the centerpiece of the chapel where, where God is creating Adam. And you see God's outstretched hand and just nearly touches the outstretched hand of Adam, right? That picture. And the, the painting depicts the creation of Adam. And where does the creation happen? Where the infinite God touches the finite man. The parallels abound. As with the Mandelbrot said, creation occurs only where spirit meets matter, where infinity meets the finite. So what have we learned that connects the mathematics underpinning nature and the idea of God? We can see in the Mandelbrot set an interesting solution to the paradoxes inherent in God. Firstly, we have an object which is itself finite and yet somehow contains infinity. Right? Infinite spheres, infinite forms, an infinite perimeter within a finite shape. Strange, miraculous, paradoxical, and yet entirely possible. Next, in the same image, we find an object which quite literally creates itself. We find the impossible. The Mandelbrot generates infinite baby brats. And it's fractal, mind you. So how can we say which is first? They're all the first. Every brat is a microcosm of its own macrocosm. So the pattern behind nature is infinite, even though nature is finite. And it's self-created, by the way. Do we have a word for such a thing? Okay. Now that we've been introduced to the Mandelbrot set and its connection to fractal mathematics, I want to make a bridge to another concept called vortex math. But before I do, I need to remind you of another religious intuition, which appears in mysticism in altered states of consciousness, and indeed in religious traditions. 
This intuition is that God, whatever it may be, is one. It connects all things together as their common metaphysical origin. The oneness of God has been described as that which there is no other. So God is the ultimate totality. There is nothing apart from it. God is the all. Okay. So if we take the idea of God as a unity, can you imagine how it might create the cosmos? Right? That there can be nothing apart from it. So it must create the finite world within somehow. Right? I can see no other way. It creates within, just as the Mandelbrot set does. Because it is all there is. And what it creates is little versions of itself. The image of God, eh? The all creates the all. A pattern within a pattern. Alright, next I'd like to ask what this oneness we're speaking of actually is. Is it a force? A being? Is it a mathematical code? How does it create within? Okay, I think we can all agree that if God exists, it isn't part of the material world. It isn't material at all. It's transcendent somehow. Okay, so is there a thing which is in the material world and yet transcends it? Is there anything in our experience that we can point to for an analogy? Wait. What about experience itself? Oh, see, we are conscious, and so we know that consciousness exists. Yet it isn't material. It isn't physical. It's something else. Something that inhabits matter and moves it from within. Something not unlike spirit. So maybe God is like this. It is generally believed to be spirit. Okay, so in this context, could we say that God is the one experiencing itself? After all, if God is all there is, it is the only thing to experience. God is that which can experience what it is. Okay, again, my mind is flooded with the image of baby brats within larger brats, a pattern within a pattern. The pattern being experienced is the same pattern doing the experiencing. And with this image, we can return to the border of the Mandelbrot set, where novelty is being created in an infinite stream of transformation. What is happening here? The pattern experiencing the pattern? God experiencing God? What we have here is self-experience understood as the act of creation. Self-experience as the act of creation. God experiences itself, and that experience gives birth to more and more which can be experienced. You might say that God manifests more and more of itself in this process. Or as the depth psychologist would say, bringing more and more of the unconscious into the light of consciousness. Or as Jordan Peterson would say, making order out of chaos. 
And that brings me to the next section, which I'm going to call self-experience as the act of creation, vortex math. Let me just share my screen again. And maybe I can make this bigger. All right, pretty simple. What you're seeing on the screen is a circle. It looks kind of like a clock, but rather than being divided in 12, it's divided in, in 10. Um, and it's just a circle with numbers around the outside. That's what we're looking at here, and that's what we're going to talk about here. All right, so on to vortex math. Okay, somebody on Twitter clued me into this topic under the auspices that Nikola Tesla used it to identify mysterious patterns in nature. So I was intrigued, obviously. But when I began to dig in, I was surprised by something unexpected. In the graph of the vortex, the cartoid appears exactly as it does in the Mandelbrot set. So I have to actually show you this now. Hold on. There it is. Do you remember that shape? This is the sphere with the cleavage, just like you see in the Mandelbrot set. All right, I'm going back to where we started for a second. All right, so the cartoid appears exactly as it does in the Mandelbrot set. So why, right? What is going on here? What is this strange pattern that appears in the Mandelbrot fractal? And again, identically in the vortex diagram. And stranger still, I know this pattern. I've seen it somewhere before. This circle with a cleavage on one end looks like something fundamental to biology, to life itself. It is the shape of a cell in the process of dividing. So on your own, uh, take a look. Look at, look at the telophase of cell division. You'll see exactly this shape. All right. Both equations seem to produce this, the same effect, right? You, we already know that the math behind the Mandelbrot set involves feedback. But what about the vortex diagram? So I want to say when we're, when we're talking about feedback, it's important to understand what, what this is. So we're talking about self-experience as the act of creation. Self-experience and feedback, really, they're synonyms, two words for the same thing. What I mean here is if you, if you feed a signal back onto itself. What you produce is feedback. That's what happens when you put a microphone too close to the speaker. That's what happens when you film yourself filming yourself. You get this infinity of cameras and little versions of you forever. This is one signal being fed back to itself. And the image there is an image of a signal experiencing itself. Self-experience. This is really what I'm getting at. So I just want to plant that seed while we're talking. The Mandelbrot set involves feedback. What about this vortex diagram? What math does it describe? So I'm going to do my best here to, to summarize this for you. In summary, the vortex diagram is really pretty simple. It involves taking the powers of a certain number. So maybe it's, you know, the power of two. And you so you take two squared, two cubed, and on and on you go. You take the powers of a certain number. And then all you do is you add the digits of each solution together. So suppose you take the power of a number and the, the, the result is 111. You take 111 becomes 1 plus 1 plus 1 or 3. 
So you, you do that to get what they call a digital root, which is a single digit number, and then you plot that number on the number wheel. That's it. When you do this, a repeating pattern is created. And that's what these lines that you see here are showing you. So, you know, the, you take the powers of a certain number, you get to the digital root, and that digital root might be 1, 5, 7, 8, 4. Might be something like that. And over and over and over again, no matter how far you go, uh, you know, upwards in the powers, they break down to the same pattern. And you can see this, you know, 1, 5, 7, 8, 4, 2, 1, 5, 7, 8, 4, 2, repeating over and over and over again. And every number you choose is going to give you a slightly different pattern. And you can repeat that process, and you can overlay the results, the pattern that results, on the number wheel. And as you do so, novelty, patterns, shapes, designs emerge. You get new shapes emerge, much like you see in the Mandelbrot fractal. You see order being generated. So let me show you that. So here you have a few more shapes um, laid over top of one another to reveal the cartoid. And here is a kind of an interesting image that shows you the vortex itself formed um, after enough iterations, after you layer enough pattern, or, or, and this of course is a little bit of a 3D version that we're looking at, but very interesting. So as you may have guessed, the process eventually forms this vortex pattern, and that is ubiquitous in nature, by the way. But this vortex has a strange feature, right? The cartoid. So what is a vortex? What is a cartoid? And why is all this significant? To cut to the chase, both the vortex and the cartoid are illustrations of feedback, of self-experience. If math is the substance of all existence, as Pythagoras believed, we may be seeing some of the source code peeking out. And if you're having trouble understanding how a vortex represents self-experience the way that the Mandelbrot set had the feedback built in. Let me just show you this last image. This is a 3D image of a vortex. And you might um, recognize it because it looks very similar to what you might see with the magnetic field around the Earth. And what's interesting here is that the pattern, the, that the waveform of this vortex wraps back around and reconnects to itself. So the vortex feeds back on itself. It's experiencing itself, you might say. And that brings me to the next section, which I'm going to call a thought experiment. All right, so close your eyes and imagine again God, whatever that is, as the unity and totality of all things. Just try to get that image in your head. Whatever it looks like to you, however it feels to you, close your eyes and imagine God as the totality of all things. Even better, imagine God as the totality of all things right at the moment of creation. Now imagine that thing is conscious. It is all there is. There is nothing else. So what is it conscious of? 
the only thing that there is for this awareness to be aware of, of course, is itself. Okay, this is a description of experience, but not just any experience, of self-experience. But experience is a strange phenomenon, right? It, it requires a subject to experience and an object to be experienced. It requires something apart from the experiencer. But there is nothing apart from the all. So where's the object here? What is the object here? Here we have a self-experience. God is the subject and also its own object. And where that object exists is within. Right? We have a pattern within a pattern forever. Now imagine that all experience is what I have just described. All experience. Imagine that your experience is God's own self-experience. That the cosmos is the same Imagine that gravity is something experienced by the star and charge is experienced by the electron and all this varying experience is fundamentally identical. God experiencing itself. But is there any evidence for such an assertion? Can self-experience really be the driving force of reality? Can it really be what is recognized in the patterns of nature and illustrated by fractal mathematics? Well, let's begin with the cartoid. What is it? In the most basic sense, it's a circle which doesn't complete its loop perfectly, but finishes instead with an inward inflection. It is the shape of the top of a heart. In the Mandelbrot fractal, it seems to be a circle like all its miniature replicants. But a circle frozen in the process of splitting. When you see the cartoid in the context of the whole set, it seems to be in the process of tearing itself into two identical forms. You can almost see the next level of the fractal being formed before your eyes. It carries this same valence in the vortex diagram. And as I alluded earlier, in the late stage of cell division. We have a new pattern emerging from within itself. But why? What purpose does it serve? Imagine again being God, aware of the reality that you are, and seeking to experience it, to discover exactly what it is you are. Imagine you were trying to know the process of knowing, as Alan Watts would say. Trying to experience that which experiences. You're trying to make your subject an object. It's almost like you need to separate yourself from yourself in order to do this. You need sufficient distance to turn around and look back at yourself and realize that, that's what I am. In other words, self-experience requires division, separation. But how is that achieved if there is nothing outside of God? If all is in fact one? See, th 
this, I think, is what the cartoid represents. It is the totality separating itself from itself by creating a kind of facsimile which it can then experience. That copy exists within itself, just as we see in the Mandelbrot fractal. And when we return to the image of cell division, we can see what is occurring in a new light. The cell divides so that it can know itself. It experiences what it is, and the fractal magic continues, with new cells being born all the time. We can see ourselves doing the same, experiencing other humans and creating new versions of ourselves, experiencing others' ideas and giving birth to new ones of our own. Even the stars and planets seem to follow this fractal pattern as they're belched out of black holes and cosmic dust. What if the whole thing, the whole damn thing, is one big self-experience? Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.